Good morning, everyone. We're so glad that you're here. Uh, let's stand and sing. Oh, since I've met my Jesus, life is better. In fact, knowing Jesus is better than life. Let's sing together.
seated. Well, good morning and welcome to First Baptist Church. Man, having Christ in your life just makes your life better. Amen? Amen. Well, welcome to First Baptist. We're glad that you're here with us to worship this morning. And if you're a first-time guest with us, we'll ask you this one simple thing. You'll see this little white guest uh, registration card there in the pew rack there in front of you. And if you can take just a moment to fill this out. Uh, at the conclusion of the service, as you're exiting, you can walk it down to our welcome desk. And our lead pastor, uh, Dr. Cox, will be down there. He's got a small gift for all first-time guests. And it's just a way to, to be able to connect with you and, and uh, for us to, to put a face with, with the name. And so we appreciate getting to meet you. And on, on that card, you can indicate uh, to receive our newsletter. And so if you throw your email on there, we'll, you know, we want you to be informed about the things that are going on in our church. You can indicate on there ways that we can pray for you. And so that, that goes out for anybody. Uh, each Monday morning, we pray for those prayer requests on those staff or on these white cards in our staff meeting. And so we invite you to do that. We'd love to have the opportunity to pray for you. As we continue to worship, we're going to just take a moment to pray now and thank God uh, for his loving kindness as we just sing about. Let's pray. Oh, Father in heaven, we do thank you for your loving kindness. Um, coming to faith in you doesn't mean that we won't have any problems, but Father, you tell us that the troubles we experience in life, that you've overcome uh, this world and you've overcome those troubles for us. And so we thank you that one way you show us loving kindness is just helping us navigate life, helping uh, carry us through those difficult times, the trials, the tragedies, maybe troubles we're facing. Father, so when we gather together in a moment like this, we can worship you, we can learn about who you are in your word and be challenged in our faith. And so Father, I, I pray this morning as we gather together uh, that you do just that, that you help to challenge us and to grow us. Lord, we pray for Dr. Cox as he brings uh, the message this morning. Father, we pray that you just empower him to teach us your truth. It's in your son's name that we pray. Amen. You can stand with us again and let's sing the lion and the lamb.
Turn to hell. 
is what David prayed. It says this, David prayed the Lord in the presence, the whole assembly saying, Praise be to you, Lord, the God of our father Israel, from everlasting to everlasting. Yours, Lord, is the greatness and the power and the glory and the majesty and the splendor for everything in heaven and earth is yours. Yours, Lord, is the kingdom. You are exalted as head over all. Wealth and honor come from you. You are the ruler of all things. In your hands are strength and power to exalt and give strength to all. Now, O oh God, we thank you. We praise your glorious name. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Please be seated. Good morning. Good to see you today. Great music as we worship together. Thank you for those who led us in worship this morning. Hey, we started a new church here last Sunday. Still a great time for you to jump in and reconnect or to connect for the first time with a connection group today with uh, Wednesday nights. This Wednesday, uh, we had a great beginning and we look forward to that. So just want to extend that invitation again. If you haven't connected in these ways, what a great time to do that. We have prayer meeting on Wednesday at 6. We prayed last Wednesday for college students. A lot of college students going off to school last week, this weekend, this coming week. You've been prayed over. We pray God's blessing upon you. We prayed for our friends in Kentucky uh, who have experienced devastating flooding and for disaster relief uh, workers there in eastern Kentucky. Um, shared that uh, 17 people have accepted Christ as Savior through the work of disaster relief there in Kentucky since that flood. God brings good things out of bad things. So anyway, we pray, and we invite you to pray, and then our, our classes get off to a great start. We invite you to be a part of that. Last Sunday also, I began a series of sermons from the Old Testament book of Amos. Uh, we're going to spend eight weeks, Lord willing, going pretty much verse by verse through this book of Amos. The theme of this book is that the lion has roared who will not fear so Amos compares God to a roaring lion and what we want to try to do in this series is to recapture or to capture a healthy reverence for God and a fear of his judgment and to stand in awe of him that's something of the message of Amos began last week looking at the first two chapters and those two chapters tell us that everyone answers to God Amos went nation by nation and the, uh, the nations around Israel and, and told them of their specific sins for which they'd be judged everyone answers to God now in uh, chapter 3 today he turns specifically to the nation of Israel and focuses on them and what we're going to see that Amos is saying in these two chapters we're going to look at today is that he says I've been trying to speak to you. I've been speaking to you, and you have not gotten my message. And so what we want to do in today is to ask the question, is God speaking to us? Certainly he is. Are we getting his message? And Amos says that God speaks to his people uh, two ways. First of all, Amos says that God speaks verbally through prophets or preachers. That's the primary way that God wants to speak to us. He speaks verbally. 
He has spoken and given us this book, His Word, and it's the record of a verbal message that God has given. And God, this is how God speaks to you. Let me show it to you in Amos 3, 7 through 8. Surely the sovereign Lord does nothing without revealing His plans to His servants, the prophets. God says, I've been trying to speak to you through the prophets. And then he says in verse 8, which, is our, which I consider the key verse of the book, where we get our theme from, The lion has roared, who will not fear? The sovereign Lord has spoken, who can but prophesy? So the first way that God speaks to us is that he sends prophets, and their word has been recorded in this book, and he still sends preachers, he still sends Sunday school teachers and parents. He speaks to you verbally. And... Are you getting God's message? But the second way that God speaks, and the main way that we're looking at today, what our focus is today, is that God also speaks non-verbally through events and circumstances. That is, God speaks non-verbally through disasters, we're going to see today, through disasters. Uh, now, you might push back against the idea a little bit that God would send pain and disasters into people's lives. You say, I don't think that's how God is. Let me try to explain it to you this way. If you have a child, a little child, who uh, tends to get out into the road. I had friends who lived on a hill. A kid loved to play ball in the yard, but the ball would roll down the hill into the road, and he'd chase the ball into the, to the road. Well, that's not a good thing. And you love that child. You want to keep him from going to the road. And so probably the first thing you're going to do is verbally talk to him. Son, listen. You could get run over. Your mom and I, we love you. You cannot go in the road. If your ball goes in the road, you've got to stop. You can't follow it there. You can't go in the road. Well, that's probably what you would first do, right, to try to speak to your child verbally. But if that verbal communication was not effective, you might speak non-verbally to your child. <laughs> right? And you might say, son, you're doing this again, and it's so dangerous, and we love you, and if you go into that road again... We're going to spank you, right? Was there not some chance that you might, loving, out of love, bring disaster to your little child's life and, to, and pain to him because you love him? That's what we're going to see today. Would you listen in your life? Is God speaking in any way non-verbally through the events of life? So let me show it to you in uh, chapter 3, verses 1 through 6, that God has spoken through disaster, he's saying, in their lives. First of all, chapter 3, verse 1, Hear this word, people of Israel, the word of the Lord is spoken against you, against the whole family I brought up out of Egypt. You only have I chosen of all the families on the earth. Therefore, what's the next phrase going to be? I will punish you for all your sins. They probably thought it was going to be, you are the ones I've chosen, therefore I'm going to bless you. And he says, you are the ones I have chosen, therefore I'm going to punish you. But isn't that true in your life? Isn't it because you love? Do, do you ever spank anybody else's kids in the grocery store? You ever punish anybody else's kids in the grocery store? Probably not, right? You might be tempted to, but, but you don't do that, right? Because they're not yours. They don't belong to you. That's not your uh, purview or responsibility. So he says here, you only have I chosen, therefore I'll punish you. I love you. So, in verses 3 through 6 are seven rhetorical questions. The implied answer to each of these seven questions is no. They're about cause and effect. And they're saying, when an effect happens, 
What's the cause of that? Let me read them to you. Do two walk together unless they have agreed to do so? The implied answer is no. If you're walking the greenway at the park and somebody's walking with you, that's weird if you haven't agreed to beforehand, right? If you're walking along and somebody just comes up and they're, well, you know, that, that's a little weird, right? Do two walk together without being agreed? No. The cause of two walking together on the greenway is, hey, you want to you walk? Yeah, we'll, we'll walk. Next question, does a lion roar? In the, there's our lion again. Does a lion roar in the thicket when it has no prey? The answer is no. Does it growl in its den when it's caught nothing? No. Does a bird swoop down to a trap on the ground when no bait is in it? No. A bird's not going to enter a trap unless there's bait in it. Uh, does a trap spring from the ground if it has not caught anything? No, it doesn't spring unless it's been triggered. And so the, here's the point. You say, what's the point of these rhetorical questions about cause and effect? Look at the last part of verse 6. When disaster comes to a city, has not the Lord caused it? You get it? These are questions about cause and effect. Here's the point of them. God is saying, You've been through some trouble, and you have not recognized that I brought this trouble on you because I loved you, and this is my nonverbal communication to you to bring you back to me. And so, in chapter 4, he goes through a list of five catastrophes that God sent on them to bring them back to him. Let's look at them, beginning in chapter 4, verse 6. Number one, he sent them famine. I gave you empty stomachs in every city. That's not a literal translation. The literal translation, that's, that's an idiomatic translation to help us understand it. It literally says, I gave you cleanness of teeth. That, that's a, a way of describing famine, you know. You only have a tartar problem because you eat well, let me tell you that, you know, right? Because if you have clean, they had cleanness of teeth because they had nothing to eat. So I gave you cleanness of teeth or empty bellies, empty stomachs in every city and lack of bread in every town, yet you have not returned to me, declares the Lord. The purpose of these catastrophes we're going to see was that they would return to him. That's one of the most important words in the Old Testament. That's the Old Testament word for repentance. When you're going the wrong direction, God wants you to turn around. He loves you and he wants you to turn or return to him. That's what the word conversion means, to turn around. And so he said, I, I gave you famine that you might return to me. The second disaster he brought on them, chapter 4, verse 7 and 8, I also withheld rain from you. So drought is the second catastrophe. When the harvest was still three months away, I sent rain on one town, but withheld it from another. One field has rain, another had none, and it dried up. Uh, people staggered from town to town for water, but did not get enough to drink. Yet you have not returned to me, declares the Lord. You hear that phrase every time? The third uh, disaster that he brought on them, the Lord says, was blight and pests on their crops. Verse 9. Many times I struck your gardens and vineyards, destroying them with blight and mildew. Locusts devoured your fig and olive trees, and yet you have not returned to me, declares the Lord. The fourth one was plagues and war. Verse 10, I sent plagues among you as I did to Egypt. I killed young men with a sword along with your captured horses. I filled your nostrils with the stench of your camps, yet you have not returned to me, declares the Lord. Do you get the idea here? He's saying, you're missing the message. 
You're not hearing this nonverbal communication that I've been sharing. My purpose was to bring you back to me. One more in, chapter, in the verse 10 was he destroyed some cities. And he says there's such a parallel, or, or verse 11, I'm sorry. He's, uh, there's a parallel to Sodom and Gomorrah. And surely they saw that as judgment of God, but when their own cities were destroyed, they did not. Verse 11, I overthrew some of you as I overthrew Sodom and Gomorrah. You were like a burning stick snatched from the fire, yet you have not returned to me, declares the Lord. So God says, you've not been getting the message. I love you so much, I've been disciplining you, and, and I've sent disasters that I hoped would turn you back to me, but it has not. So let's apply this to, to our uh, nation today. Is it, could it still be true that God brings disasters as discipline to bring us back to Him? I tried to think back over the first 22 years of the 21st century, the recent history of our country, and I think there have been two or three major catastrophic events in the last 22 years. There's others, but those that you would remember where you were and you remember when you heard about it, there have been two or three. First of all, at the beginning of this century, there was 9-11, 2001, September 11th. And most of us remember that if you're alive then when those, uh, that attack on uh, U.S. soil came by those planes being flown into buildings. The second big one has come just recently in this pandemic. Two years of life disrupted, and this is something you're going to remember all of your life. So at the beginning and end of this 22 years of the first part of our century, there have been two catastrophic events. The other one that might, uh, that might be nearly that scope, not quite, 2005 was Hurricane Katrina. Such devastation that the city of New Orleans lost a majority of its population. The city just amazingly destroyed and so two or three major catastrophic events could it be that God allowed those things to happen for the purpose of getting our attention and speaking to us could that be possible and if it is possible that what happened in Amos 4 happened here did we get the message after 9-11 2001 there was a brief turning to the Lord. Churches were full for a few weeks. We had prayer meetings on days other than Wednesday or Sunday, and people would come to church and pray. Congressmen stood on the steps of the Capitol and prayed and sang together, God bless America. And there was a blip of a return to God. The problem is it did not last long. We sort of got over that fear and that, uh, that event, and it pretty much returned to normal. After Hurricane Katrina, was there any um, return to God? Maybe in that locale, I don't think so nationwide. What about after this pandemic? Certainly not. If anything, churches are lower in attendance and there is less engagement with God in our nation after the pandemic than before. I'm saying uh, we certainly haven't seen, if, if this was any of God's doing in our culture to bring us back to Him as in Amos 4, we certainly haven't returned to him. Have we failed to get his message? Now, let me consider, does God do this on a personal level? We've been talking about the nation of Israel, and we've been talking about our country, but does God, is it true personally that God would allow disasters, catastrophes in our personal lives in order to bring us back to him? The answer, I think, is yes and no. 
because not all personal disasters are because you have sinned. Certainly, that's, the Bible tells us that's true. Number, number one, sometimes you're collateral damage uh, from evil, right? When Hurricane Katrina came, many lost all their homes. There were good, godly people that lost their homes. If that was in any way God's discipline of our nation, there was a lot of collateral damage of churches that were destroyed and congregations had to move completely out in New Orleans. And, and so not all of the personal evil that you experience is because of your sin. The book of Job makes that abundantly clear. Job had a lot of troubles all at once. Catastrophes, disasters fell on him. And his friends came and told him it was because of his sin. And if he had just repent of his sin, then he would be okay. But we know, because you read the, the book, what they didn't know behind the scenes, it was because of God had allowed Satan to test him, not because of his sin. So not all disaster is in any way connected to personal sin in your life, but some is. In the Old Testament, you got two guys whose names start with J, Job and Jonah. Both of them got storms. One of them, the storm came from God as discipline for sin. The other did not. It came for a different reason. Job had a storm that, that, that destroyed a house and killed his kids. It wasn't because of his personal sin or theirs. The Bible makes that clear. Jonah had a storm on a boat. It was because of his personal sin. Because he, God told him to go to Nineveh, he ran the other way, and God sent a storm to get his attention and to turn him back. So how do you know when you go through a storm if it's a Job storm or a Jonah storm? If you're collateral damage or if you are, God is speaking to you. I would say to you, you don't. I can't explain all troubles and evil. I, I can't, you came to me and said, Pastor, I'm having a problem right now. I'm going through the test. Do you think God did this to get my attention? Or do you think this could be a testing like Job? And, or do you think it's just that there's, God's trying to speak to our nation and I got caught in, up in this? You know what I'd say to you? I don't know. I don't know. So what do we do? I think what we do, whenever there's trouble in your life, you use it as an opportunity to search your heart and to see if God is trying to get your attention. I don't think you're going to know, but it's an opportunity every time to look at your life and say, God, I want to be right with you, and is this in any way, is there any sin in my life that you're trying to bring to my attention? Let me show you what Jesus said about this in, in Luke chapter 13, verses 1 through 5. Luke 13, verses 1 through 5, uh, I think Jesus says, what I've been trying to say to you far better. Luke 13, verse 1. Now there were some present at the time who told Jesus about the Galileans whose blood Pilate had mixed with their sacrifices. We don't know what, exactly what happened, but apparently some people went to sacrifice and Pilate killed them. He mingled their blood with the blood of their sacrifices. And, G, and people were talking about that. In verse 2, Jesus answered, do you think these Galileans were worse sinners than all the other Galileans because they suffered this way? I tell you, no. But unless you repent, you too will all perish. So Jesus said, it wasn't because of their personal sin. But this is a good opportunity for you to think about that you're gonna, you need to repent and you're going to perish if you don't. You see, 
Jesus said every opportunity was the time to do that. Let's look at the next example. He said in the next verse, or, verse 4, those 18 who died when the tower in Siloam fell on them. Well, there's a disaster. Do you think they were more guilty than all the others living in Jerusalem? I tell you, no. But unless you repent, you too will all perish. Jesus said you cannot make a direct connection between that disaster and their personal sin. But, he said, this is a good opportunity for you to examine your life because unless you repent, you too will perish. You get it? So, when you have some trouble in your life, some disaster, you may say, well, boy, that, isn't that going to make me just guilt-ridden all the time? If there's a possibility that some of this trouble is because of my personal sin, and aren't, am I just going to be racked with guilt every time I have trouble? I sure don't want to add more guilt to those. Some of you are suffering with things in your life, and I don't want to add more guilt to you. You sure don't need that. Let me tell you how I think that you can decipher whether God's speaking to you through that or not. If when you go in, in trouble and you search your heart and the, there's something specific that comes to your mind you need to repent of, that's God because the Holy Spirit deals in, in specifics. The devil deals in vague generalities. If you just have a vague feeling, I'm not good enough, I, I'm just, I'm not worthy, oh, am I just, that's the devil. The devil wants you to feel bad about yourself without doing anything about it, with no end of repentance in sight. But the Holy Spirit is going to make you feel bad so that you'll feel good when you repent. And so you come into trouble and, and you search your heart. God, are you trying to say anything to me? then if, if there comes to your mind those specific things of which you need to repent, that's probably the work of the Holy Spirit in your life because that's what he does. If it's just a vague sense of unworthiness or whatever, that's not from God. God doesn't deal in those vague generalities. He has a specific aim intact, and that is that you come to repentance. But in every case in our lives, would we be open to say, God, I most of all want to be in right relationship with you. What are you saying to me through these events? Well, let's look at the last two verses of uh, Amos chapter 4 as we wrap it up. Amos 4.12, God says, Therefore, because you missed all of these signals, because you didn't return to me in famine and drought and blight and plagues and destroyed cities, Therefore, this is what I will do to you, Israel, and because I'll do this to you, Israel, prepare to meet your God. Because you didn't respond to partial judgment, there's going to be final judgment. Prepare to meet your God. This verse captured the imagination in the early 20th centuries of a coal miner in Middleborough, Kentucky, named Henry Harrison Mays. And prepare to meet your God. So he went in his backyard and made some wooden forms of signs shaped as hearts or crosses and put those words from Amos 4.12, prepare to meet your God. And he put them up all over America. Uh, he would drive them in his truck and usually not ask permission of the landowner. He'd just put them up. And uh, he put them up between uh, 1918, when he started this, he was 20 years old in 1918, to 1986 when he died. And he put them up in 44 different states you might there are still a few like this one mountains in north carolina kentucky few in tennessee on the back roads you might still see one of these signs 
prepare to meet God in the shape of a heart like this one because it's the heart of God. He loves you. He doesn't want you to experience judgment. He wants you to be ready to meet him. So Henry Harrison Mays, captured by this verse, Amos 4.12, put it all over America. Stories in Newsweek, stories in Life magazine. His signs, some of them are in the, uh, the uh, uh, Museum of Appalachia in Norris, Tennessee. You can go and see a large collection of them. He was an eccentric guy. He, he built his house in the shape of a cross. He painted Jesus saves in huge letters on the roof just in case a plane flew over and they would know that Jesus saves. An eccentric kind of guy captured by this verse. But when you read the prophets, they're all just a little bit eccentric. It's true. People now maybe see those signs and sort of make fun of them. Oh, it must be a bad curve up ahead. Prepare to meet God or whatever. But uh, it's true. It's true. You're going to meet God one day. And God loves you so much that he will discipline you just like you would love a child and discipline a child. And so the final verse just tells us again, theme of this series is, our God's an awesome God. He's like a roaring lion. Who will not fear him? Listen to this last verse. Here's who said, prepare to meet your God. He who forms the mountains. Wow. And who creates the wind, who reveals his thoughts to mankind, who turns dawn to darkness and treads on the heights of the earth. The Lord God Almighty is his name. Yahweh Elohim Sabaoth is his name. The first verse in the Bible gives us the name Elohim. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Moses met him at the burning bush and he revealed to him the name Yahweh, the Lord God. And the prophet spoke of him as Sabaoth, the Lord of hosts, or the Lord of armies, or the Lord God Almighty. He is an awesome God. Who will not fear him? Let me ask you a question. Are you as close to God as you've ever been? Has there ever been a time in your life when you were living a more holy life, more on fire for God, more concerned about lost people, more in prayer. Ever been a time when you were more in church than you are now? Then what God would say to you is, I want you to return to me. God calls you to return to where you once were. And he calls you that way in two ways. He calls you to return, first of all, through his spoken word. That's the primary way he communicates. Through the prophets written in this book, still preached and taught today, God speaks to you. Would you hear his voice even through this message, through this passage of Scripture of the prophets? But the second way we've learned today that God communicates with us is non-verbally. And would you see in the events in your life and in our world that there is a God, a roaring lion, who brings even disaster that we might return to him he does that because he wants us to be spared that final judgment he wants us to be prepared to meet our God let's bow together in prayer oh Lord we want to search our hearts today and we want to ask is there anything you would say to us is there any sin in our life that your Holy Spirit is bringing to mind of which we need to repent 
is there any distance between us and you that we are not as close to you as we once were? We want to return to you. We want to come back to you. We want to, to, to restore that fellowship by repentance of our sin and through your grace. And so, Lord, this is a time when we draw near to you that you'll draw near to us. In the name of Jesus, amen. Would you stand together with me? We're going to sing a song of invitation. And if you are not ready to meet God, you will someday. And the only way to be ready is through the blood of Jesus Christ, his one and only son sent from heaven to die and be raised again, that he might give us the gift of eternal and abundant life through repentance and faith in him. So I want to invite you to walk forward Put your faith in Christ. Have baptism next Sunday. You can be baptized along with several others uh, next Sunday. We invite you to come. Maybe you need to come and join our church or to pray. You're welcome to do that.
Amen. As we close our service, I just want to point your attention to our worship guide. There's tons of information in here this week, so we want to let you know that student discipleship begins today at 530. Um, and then if you come down, our church directories are here. So if you've had your picture taken, you can pick one up at the Welcome Center. Go by and do that. You also see Parents Night Out and the church volleyball tournament. But then also in October, October 5th through the 9th, we are having our Denver mission trip. We need a few more people for that. If you want to sign up, go to the website. And then also we are starting signups for connection groups to bring a meal to Oakley. Oakley starts back up. It's September 12th. So if your connection group wants to be a part of that, uh, you can go to the missions wall, sign up for that there as well. Let's take a moment and pray together. Father, I thank you for the message that we have heard, Father. And Lord, as you search us, Father, um, help us to be prepared. And Lord, we thank you for this. As we take this gospel, as we take this truth into the community this week, may we help others to be prepared as well. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.